Welcome to A Sex Worker's Guide to the Galaxy, where the answer to life, the universe, and everything is sex workers. I'm your host, Parker Westwood. Today, I'm bringing to you an interview uh, I did with a friend of mine who is involved in ANSWER, a network of sex workers to excite revolution in Detroit, and um, they're going by the name Chad for this interview. We end up talking about a lot of things. Um, privilege is kind of sprinkled in throughout, and um, but some of the highlights are talking about STIs and PrEP. Uh, we get to talk about the healing aspects of the sex of sex work as a as a career path. Um, obviously, it doesn't always have to be healing. We cover that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, and so many other things. Uh, harm reduction choice. Um, there, I do want to say that for those of you who cannot handle hearing us talk about, um, sexual assault or suicide attempts, um, then this might not be the episode for you. In that case, there are plenty of other episodes to go back in the catalog and listen to, um, if that is not something that your being can handle currently. Um, and I say that with no judgment and so much love. There's a point in the interview I want to bring up just to clarify a little bit. Um, Chad and I are talking about um, this idea of, like, acting as therapy. And um, I bring up the phrase, like, fake it till you make it. Um, and, like, trying on different pieces of a personality just to see if they fit you. Um, and, like, how therapeutic that can be or how it can trick your brain into thinking, into, like, creating the happy hormones that make us happy sometimes. Um, I just want to make sure that it is said, because I didn't say it in the interview, we were moving a little too fast, um, that, that there's a difference between what I'm talking about there and complete masking and like hiding who you are so that you'll be accepted. Um, one is liberating, one is exciting, um, one is an like a process of trial and error and the other is full shame and fear and um obviously they can look the same and it's only like only the person who is doing it can really know um but I just wanted to differentiate between those two things because as someone who's done a bit of both um it's important and I don't want to encourage people hiding, uh, or putting up walls and masking like that. Anyway, um, but also if you do it, so much love to you and compassion and you're lovable just the way that you are, even if you don't know what that is. Okay. All that being said, um, we got to do a little bit of a, a thing before we get into the actual interview. So, um, if you'd like to support the show, come support us over on patreon.com slash sexygalaxypod. 50% of the proceeds go to support sex worker exclusive art events put on by Answer Detroit, a network of sex workers to excite revolution, whom you can check out at answerdetroit.org. You can also follow the podcast on social media, um, namely Twitter at sexygalaxypod, which is, um, I don't really do a lot over there, but come follow us anyway. And um, 
yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe I will. <laughs> oh, one more thing before we get to the interview. Um, I've gone back and for the first year uh, of, of episodes added uh, transcripts. Uh, I'm trying to catch up. I feel like it's really important to have transcripts for people who can't listen to the episodes but still want the information, the experience. Um, just trying to make the show a little bit more accessible as we go along here. So check that out. There are scripts now available. Um, and if you can't find them for whatever reason, feel free to reach out to me um, at sexygalaxypod at gmail.com. Okay, we're finally getting into the interview. I hope you enjoy it. It's full of so much. Let's do it. All right, listeners, I'm here with a very special guest, someone dear, near and dear to my heart. Um, we work together doing answer things, um, and I'm just excited to introduce you, but I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So, Chad, if you wouldn't mind sharing your name, your pronouns, uh, location, and what kind of sex work you do. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, I go by Chad, and I live in Dallas, Texas. I identify as he, him pronouns, and I am an escort. Fantastic. Welcome to the show. <laughs> um, so I'm so excited to have you here. Um, I was curious if you'd be willing to share how you got started into sex work. What was your origin story in the sex work industry? Okay. Um, so I started escorting at the age of 16. Um, I come from, I live in Texas. I live in Dallas now, but I moved to Dallas when I was 18. So prior to that, I lived in a really small town in East Texas. And, you know, I grew up relatively poor, <clears throat> um, just based off of like childhood trauma and things that happened within my, you know, my life. And I got into sex work basically off of Grindr um, when I was 16. And I was simply just looking for companionship at the time, um, just because in a small town, I didn't really have, outside of support from my family, I didn't really have any friends or have any people that looked like me or identified like me. So I, as we all do, I went to, I went searching on Grindr for it. Um, and, you know, the opportunity kind of fell in my lap to accept money for companionship. Um, and <clears throat> That's kind of how it all began. And even after that experience, that same individual helped me, you know, get my first job and helped me actually get to Dallas when I turned 18. So it's been kind of a really impactful moment. I, I never thought that I was meant for a small town just based off of, you know, my trauma and the things that I identify with. Um, I definitely felt like I would be more accepted in a bigger city. And so, you know, I was able to make that jump and do it successfully because of escorting. That's fantastic. And at 16, so I'm at me, for me, when I think about 16, me at 16, I'm just like, oh my God, I would have had the worst boundaries. Um, Cause also like, like you said, when, when we're survivors of trauma, um, of really like any kind of trauma, boundaries are really, really tough. Um, so just, I know we had all these other questions that I do want to jump into, but I'm curious, like, what was your experience being so young and like, did you have a lot to learn around boundaries? Are you willing to share a little about that? Yeah. Um, my, since I, you know, experienced so much trauma in my childhood, I kind of, I've kind of always had boundaries <laughs> and I had to build this at a very young age 
just because, you know, my experiences as a kid, I felt like a lot of control was taken away from me. Mm -hmm. So the way that I navigated my atmosphere was by taking back that control. And even in my first experience escorting when I was 16, I felt in control of something for the first time in my life. Wow. So the boundary was solidified just by me being there and controlling the atmosphere around me mm-hmm. and it's realizing that even at a young age, it's hard for me to understand that I realized it back then. But even back then, I realized that they needed me um, out of their own intentions. <clears throat> and so in order for them to have me in the way that they wanted me, I was able to create the control around the, the situation. And although I haven't escorted like what's the word consistently over the past 10 years, yeah. um, each experience that I've had escorting my, my boundaries got stronger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I really felt like my worth was more than, more than a dollar sign. Um, but it was more like how I can impact this person. I knew for a long time that I wanted to help people and I didn't realize it at the, at the time, but I realized that escorting was helping people. as well as beneficial to me as well. So the boundaries are always changing, um, growing, getting stronger. And even with some people, I do kind of, you know, let the boundaries fall a little bit so I can be genuine and authentic um, because I don't want to hide parts of me um, that might help other people. Totally. Yeah. But the, the important part is that that's a, that's a choice when you let those boundaries down. Yeah. I love that escorting was a place where you found to like take your power back. I think that for me, that was something that was definitely there, but I had, I had personally had a lot of work to do around my boundaries. And I love hearing that like at 16, you were just like, I know my worth. (laughs) You have to be strong-minded. I mean, my friends tell me all the time, like it takes a special kind of person to do this work and it does. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, I, I think about my life and I think about what I've been through and escorting has been such a huge positive light in my life because of, because of my experience as a child and not having that strong fatherly figure that most of us often seek. Um, I was able to find that within my clients and within my partnerships with other people. And I don't think I'd be anywhere close to where I'm at today. If I did not have those relationships, not just financially, but mentally and physically, you know, I, I think we, as humans, we all are after finding love and finding um, companionship. And I think that's just a part of our DNA, but to find someone that supports you in every single way possible is rare. And I was able to find that through escorting and build those relationships and build sustainable friendships. And that's what's been most impactful for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of times in our society, we get hung up on where we find those either like fatherly figures or motherly figures. Like, I think that if you can find them, if you can remember your worth, if you can be clear on your boundaries, like why not lean into that and like find that healing? Like if you didn't have that father figure, um, being able to, to find that in someone else, um, that's fantastic. I guess this is, a, I'm going to like jump around in our question list a little bit. Cause this feels like we're going right into this idea of sex work as like healing and for both you and the client. Um, so if you wouldn't mind sharing maybe some of those experiences you've had with clients where either it was a healing impact for you or for them. Absolutely. Um, there's one person that comes to my mind quite often. Um, 
he's someone that I met like three years ago. So, you know, I met him at a time where he was struggling with his identity and his sexual art orientation. He was married to a woman, had kids, um, <clears throat> but was older. Yeah. And because he was struggling with his identity, he fell into, you know, alcohol abuse and substance abuse. And he was finding himself oftentimes like in jail because he couldn't quite figure out how to navigate himself and navigate how to manage his family outside of his identity and, you know, things like that. And it, I was able to watch him go through these things. And although I do have my boundaries and my walls up most of the time, you know, I actually started to care for this person because I remember being that person when I was younger. Um, and it was kind of crazy for me to watch that happen in someone that is older than me because I've had a different experience than him growing up. Being gay, I identify as pan, he identifies as gay, but being gay in that age back in the day was just not something that was accepted and not talked about. Yep. And so he's been struggling with this for decades. <clears throat> um, so I was actually able to help him like recenter his mind and recenter his energy and kind of like prioritize the thing that the things that he cares about. And one of those things was his identity and his sobriety. And Good. he was able to accomplish that. He was able to move out of the house that he was living in with his wife and, you know, get into rehab and also move into our, our gay neighborhood in Dallas. And yeah just really find himself in a different way. He had never knew what it felt like to be complimented by a guy just walking down the street in a neighborhood that supports us. Um, and it was able to open his eyes to a lot more things. And he's, I mean, I actually had dinner with him last night. You know, he's just so mm -hmm. much happier um, and he's healed. He's not fully healed, obviously, but he's cool. healing. Yeah. And <laughs> it means, like I said earlier, it means more to me to help people than a dollar sign. Like, I've seen the evolution of him and the evolution of myself too, because when he met me as well, I was, you know, a baby. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm 20, I was 23 at the time. And, you know, I was still navigating different challenges in life. And although I'm still experiencing the same challenges, he was able to help me figure out how to budget, how to navigate life. And I, I've never really had that before. They don't teach you that in school. No. <laughs> which is the most obnoxious thing. They really should. <clears throat> right. And going back to me, not having that fatherly figure, I was able to find that in him, but in a nurturing and caring way. Like he never took advantage of me. He always respected my boundaries and respected my walls and just respected my voice and even supports me doing things like this. So it's, it's, it's just been really cool. <laughs> and I know, and I know that my experience is very different from someone that's black and someone that's Brown. And I, I hold a certain privilege and I think even me being in this spot today with you is a privilege and if if my work is meaningful to anybody it is to utilize my privilege to create spaces for those communities because they experience severe discrimination and severe disparities um, in mm -hmm. sex work HIV you know prevention harm reduction all these different things that occur in the LGBTQI community and just the sex work community in general um, so these experiences have really helped me become a true advocate and a true human that's dedicated towards helping these people in my community and people that look like me. Absolutely. I love that. And one of the things you, you kept mentioning too, was like having your walls up, having your boundaries. And, um, one of the things that kept coming to my mind was just like, we can, we can have our boundaries with people and, and yet still have compassion for them. 
you were able to find sort of this symbiotic relationship with this client mm-hmm. um, because it's like, yes, he was able to help you learn how to budget and and like do all of these life things that were not taught, but you were able to give him space to really be himself. Um, I think there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of, um, well, let's just, Gen Z is the shit. And like, there's been so much that has happened over the course of the last many decades that um, like, it is so much easier to be a gay person in the world today than it was 30 years ago. Um, And so to have someone younger um, be able to kind of help liberate this gay man is just like a beautiful thing. I love that story. That's so great. I agree. And that's just like one of many, you know, people I've helped, but that's probably been the most impactful one for me. Um, Just because I don't, I I no longer consider him a client and I often don't use that word anymore um, just because it makes them feel kind of less than, and I don't want anybody seeking companionship to feel like they're less than the individual that they want to have, have companionship with. So I call them my friend, I call them my partner, I call them whatever makes me feel comfortable and whatever makes him feel comfortable. But with this specific individual, he is my friend and he is my companion because this is, this is life. You know, this isn't just a made up world. You know, these are, these are real life experiences and real human souls that we are talking about. And as humans, I think we all have room to heal and all have room to grow. And it means a lot to me to be that person in his life that that safe space and that safe haven to be able to come to me and tell me all the things he's going through and me having someone that's identified as gay and pan for a long time. I've already hopped over those hoops and, you know, done the work and done my self-discovery. So I'm able to use my experience and my knowledge and my expertise to help someone that has just entered this world. Yeah. (laughs) I think too, that um, at least in my experience and, and from what you're telling me too, it's, clients will they're looking for a neutral party oftentimes like a compassionate neutral party like they can't a lot a lot of the ones that I've I've helped to either like you know get sober or like try different try different things um maybe they're into pegging who knows but they're like (laughs) things that they haven't gotten to do that they feel kind of ashamed um uh or they just need someone who's not emotionally involved in their life, or it's not going to net like wildly negatively impact their life. If this person has a negative response to what they have to say, um, and kind of work things through with someone who's not their life partner. Um, and, and like you being able to be there for this person and work things through before they go to their wife. Um, so that it's not so emotional and they're not so reactive. Uh, I think that's, I think that's really important to recognize. Um, and obviously it's not every client. There's totally clients that are just there to like get laid and and like, that's it. Um, this is sex work is not always healing. It is definitely about the money sometimes. Um, Uh, absolutely. (laughs) yeah. Um, I would say. I would, well, for me, it's like, I, I love being able to connect with people, but if the money wasn't there, I would not be connecting with these people. And so it's like, I get the beautiful thing, but I also get to pay my rent. Um, Absolutely. Or, you know, 
you've paid your rent already and you can use this money to garden or you can use this money to support your partner or yeah. you know there's there's I don't really firmly believe the money that money makes the world go round it's just what helps make life easier and you know it's it's good to say that it's beneficial for both parties I can't say that that's the same experience for every every person because it's definitely not but you know it is it is impactful on both sides and it's like you said it's not always healing it's not Sometimes I have traumatic experiences, you know, but at the end of the day, I'm still alive. And, you know, I have to learn how to channel that trauma into my work and my passions. And part of that channel is in escorting and is in sex work because part of my traumatic childhood has been channeling all of my anger and frustration and depression and all these things into the character and the person that I've created for myself. And it has healed me in a way that therapy never can. And it's my form of therapy and my form of therapy is okay. Yeah. There's, there is a lot actually, like a bunch of research done about, um, like acting or taking on a a personality and not, not necessarily like multiple personality disorder, but like at like acting, like theater and how beneficial that can be. And there's, there is an element of that in escorting. Like we, put on a character or a persona, even if it is like just a smidgen away from our authentic (laughs) selves, like it's still a persona and it can still give us that like therapeutic, you know, the, the, the like fake it till you make it thing. There's an element, there's an element of truth in that. Like I will pretend to be super duper confident, um, especially in social situations. Um, to the point where eventually I believe it. Um, and I think that there's a piece of that with escorting and acting where we like it, it's therapeutic because we get to try on a different way of being and see how it feels. Right. And And I really like that. There are different versions of yourself. It's not taking away from your authenticity. It's just expanding, expanding who you are. And like you said, it's not, even if it's just a smidgen of you know, being happier with this person or, you know, being the way that that you're, you're being the person that they need. Yeah. And although it may be acting sometimes, like for me personally, I, even before I meet a potential client, I'm like, I'm always going to be myself. And if that's not something that you can keep up with and not something that you can respect, then I'm not the right fit for you. Yeah. And we can experience that and see, but at the end of the day, don't be mad at me because you haven't found the right companion. You know, it's, it's all up to you. Yeah. And there's a, again, that's like the certain amount of privilege that we have to be able to like turn clients down and, um, granted, like I've turned clients down when I got bills that are due and I don't have money in my bank account. Like I've been in that position, but like, I still am privileged enough to be like, uh, to make that decision where it's like, I'm not going to take that client if it doesn't feel right. Um, <clears throat> and I think that's, that's really important. And when we're talking about like sex work as work, recognizing that like, there are some of us that get to make that choice. Um, right. It's like turning down a job, you know, turning down a contract opportunity. Yeah. It's not everything is going to be a fit for you. And it's like, it's like when you have a client, you lose that client. It's like losing a job. It hurts. Um, especially someone that you care about. Yeah. But you know, you also have to remind yourself that there's so many people around the world. (laughs) 
like the opportunities are endless. And that that's to say that comes with job opportunities as well. And sex work is a job and it is something that protects people and heals people. And I think that's important to talk about as well, because although it's not healing all the time and although it's not, there's not protection always because mm -hmm. we hold a certain privilege for our skin color. Um, it is, it is very similar and it's just, I feel like sex work and escorting and all forms of sex work are creative and beautiful at the same, in many different ways. I mean, I could talk about this all day, <laughs> but it's just like, I feel like for most people, especially on platforms like OnlyFans and, you know, Rentman and Feet Finder and, you know, there's all these different platforms that are legalized and people take advantage of, which they should, because at the end of the day, there are a lot of sex workers that pay their taxes and do their due diligence as a citizen in the United States. And they deserve to be recognized and deserve to be able to hold those spaces because yeah. we are just like everybody else, you know? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, we are just like everybody else. <laughs> Also, I want I was like, I also want to say that if uh, speaking on the privilege piece and like being able to make those decisions, if more people had their basic needs met and like healthcare was different in this country and all sorts of like all of those things, more people would be able to make those choices. Like, absolutely. Yeah, I, I want to highlight that piece a little bit without fear of the acquisition of HIV or hep C or STIs or anything like that. If healthcare was truly equal, um, I think we'd be in a very different place nowadays. And okay. one of the most impactful things for me as well um, in the work that I've done the past four years is you know PrEP advocacy. And if people don't know what PrEP means, it's pre-exposure prophylaxis. Um, and it's a pill that you can take once a day to effectively prevent the, the acquisition of HIV. And I've been on PrEP for four years. And even with my clients that have never heard of PrEP, I've been able to advocate for them and help them access those resources because, because of my privilege and because of my knowledge. Yeah. And there, it's all about, I know that there's social media and there's all these things out there, but it really does take having that conversation with someone to really inspire someone to make a decision for themselves. And my clients have been able to access either HIV treatment or prevention because I was able to have the book of resources readily available to me and because of the connections and my friends that work in this community as well you know it's it's all about educating and advocating for yourself and if you can't do that first then you won't be successful and there's a certain privilege a privilege is going to be a common word in this i think there's <laughs> there's a certain privilege that comes with that because not everyone has access to social media not everyone has access to the things that they need. And I think part of having this conversation is talking about that and realizing the work that still needs to be done for our community. Absolutely. Um, of which there is a lot. <laughs> you and I are both aware. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, oh my God. So many things that I wanted to talk about, but I will say I'm going to be linking um, information about prep in the show notes, because I think that if there's anyone who is curious or just wants to know more or wants to get some prep, there are easy ways to do that. And I'll be linking that in the show notes. Um, Cause prep is fantastic. It's yes. really magical. Um, so which is that you just let us, you just, set me up for the person <laughs> and I love love it um because I was going to ask you about your HIV education and like how that how that's been part of your sex work experience um 
because you've been able to introduce clients to um, PrEP and HIV treatment and stuff like that. Have you also been able to do that with other sex workers? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's crazy because when I was navigating, um, when I was 23, I, I tried to commit suicide. And mm. just based off of many factors in life, I would say, it's, I laugh about it now because I remember that person. I remember how like unstable I was. Um, and not to laugh at the experience, but you know, I was just so, so undereducated and so naive. And you know, someone you know took a chance on me and saved my life in a way. And yeah. it was with my first job in HIV. And I was working in a pharmacy. I was able to see the process of what it takes to access PrEP and the different resources in my city and across the state of Texas. <clears throat> and know how to do the applications for people that don't have insurance or people that don't have documented status here in the United States. And I was able to take that experience and the experience I did for three years by advocating more and more. And I, I, I kind of hate the fact that I wasn't so confident in who I was as a sex worker back then because I could have done a lot more work. Um, but that's work I'm doing now. So it's, you know, linking people to resources and also my fellow sex workers out there, you know, getting on the apps, getting on all these different platforms, doing, you know, street outreach mm -hmm. um, and, say, you know, linking people saying, hey, this is what this is. I've had a lot of people that are sex workers that are afraid to get tested because they're afraid of what they're going to find out. And yeah. it all has to do with HIV stigma um, and STI stigma and all these different stigmas that are out there. <clears throat> um, but having just having a normal human to human conversation always works better um, because you're able to identify in some way with that person and vice versa. Yeah. And being able to see someone be afraid to get tested for HIV to then months later getting tested for HIV, coming out as negative, getting on PrEP, just seeing that evolution of a person and someone finding their power again and like fighting stigma yeah. um, has been impactful for me, but most importantly, been impactful for them because the work only happens if you talk to people. Yeah. Like, like I mentioned earlier, social media is there, but not everyone has access to that. So if someone's, you know, potentially doing sex work, you know, out in the community, you know, and not on these apps and these other privileged platforms, you know, mm -hmm. they don't know about these resources and they don't know anything about what's going on. And being able to, hey, point down the street and be like, hey, you can go down there, get tested, get on prep. The pharmacy that I work for will deliver it to you or I will personally come out to you and bring it to you. Yeah. And I've had experiences where I've had to do that and seeing the emotions on their face, like to see someone take that extra step and really care about them changes their whole life path. Yeah. And it's so important to, as we evolve as a society, to remember that, um, because at the end of the day, we all, we are all humans and we all have feelings and we all have emotions. And we all have trauma. We all have things that we need to work on. And just having that human to human contact and having someone that identifies with the experience that you are going through helps wavelengths. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. <clears throat> yeah, it really, it really does mean a lot to hear someone who has been through the experience um be there for you and like talk to you about it the sti shame and and stigma is just like such a real deal um even when you're even when you're like educated about it and you know all the things when i got my first sti i i talked to i had so much shame about it because it was while i was a um sex worker and I was going through the whole thing of like, how is this going to impact my 
ability to work, like how long is it going to take to recover from this? Like, da, 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 da. like all of the just flooding thoughts. And the first person I talked to about it was another sex worker who's been in the industry for a long time. And she said to me, she looked at me, I said the thing and I was just like kind of shaking. I was like near tears. I was really scared to like admit it to somebody. And uh, she looked at me and she goes, oh, baby, that's <laughs> T.I. And I was just like, just like the that. relief, like the, I just started laughing and the relief that I felt from like someone not making it a huge deal. And just like, <clears throat> I was like, you're right. You're right. You're right. It's not a big deal. It's a thing that's easily treatable. Yes. Um, and it's not shameful. And I, I will easily like, I will be able to recover quickly and continue to work. There are safety precautions I can take from here. Like even with being safe, I still had got an STI. It's like, there's no shame in it. We are all human beings. Right. And also to remind yourself that the potential risky sex, I don't like that word, but that's like the word used by the government. Um, you're putting your, yourself at risk, but these things are easily, easily able to be navigated and have, I think the most difficult part about, you know, acquiring an STI during, you know, participating in sex work is having that conversation with your client. Exactly. It, they are also stigmatized by these things as well. So it's having a stigmatized conversation with someone that's stigmatized and another person that is stigmatized by STI. So it's just, it's, it's a hard conversation and you don't, I feel like sex, sex workers worry about whether it's going to, like you said, impact their job and how long it's going to take and, you know, what, whether resources are available for treatment, because not oftentimes they are not. And, yeah. you know, just having the access, it's all about, it's just access. It's all about access. And, you know, as someone that also experienced getting my first baby STI, <laughs> you know, it's, it is kind of, it is scary, you know, because you, because at the time you're not educated about anything, you know, you're like, well, shit, it happened to me. What do I do now? But at the end of the day, everything is treatable and sex is meant to be fun. Yeah. And having these, I like to reference a toolbox because not everyone is going to use all the same protective measures like condoms, dental dams, prep, you know, all these different um, avenues of protection, but having at least, at least utilizing one item in the toolbox is putting your health first, I think. Totally. Because in sex work, I want to have the most fun. Yeah. And I don't want it to just be a transactional thing. I want to enjoy myself throughout the longevity of the experience. And right. having that toolbox ready, readily available to me has helped me navigate those different circumstances where I have acquired an, an STI. Yeah. And knowing like having the honest conversation always goes further, um, especially when having the conversation with your client or partner you know, because a lot of times sex workers have partners at home, you know, and, and I wish that was more likely, you know, because a lot of people don't date sex workers because they have a fear of losing the love for that person or just like that their partner is falling in love with someone else when it's really just not that. Right. There's so much stigma there. Yeah. Yes. People have yet to learn how to separate sex from love because they're two different things. They are. And it is a, it is a work in progress, even for me, just because I, I'm just like a very protective person as, as a human. Um, and 
you know, I think about like the impact that, that would make in my, my mental health. And I want to protect that person that I'm with at all costs. Totally. So. Yeah. One thing too, I, I was going to talk about with like condom use and contraception and things like that. Um, one thing that popped up was that like, that's harm reduction is like making sure that that's available to sex workers. Um, because it's it like, we're privileged enough to be able to go, like, I didn't have health insurance for a while. And so like, every time I'm able to go to the doctor and, um, get an STI test done or what, what have you, um, is a, that is a privilege. Um, granted it's a, a privilege I pay a pretty penny for, but it's still a privilege. Um, and I, I think that providing STI testing and contraception and thing and like that information and resource to to sex workers for free is a form is a really important form of of harm reduction um because it is a, it's a privilege to to like make the choice to not use contraception that's available um and and yeah you're right a lot of clients will like have pressured me to not use a condom i uh mostly because i love being a dick, I just tell, I make, I'm like, you have to, (laughs) especially now that you're pressuring me, we're going to like use three condoms, um, at once because you're being an asshole. Um, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I think it's, uh, and, but that's the thing too, is like the stigma around STIs is that, um, you can still get an STI if you are diligent about condom use and contraception. Like they, that's one of the things where it's like, it doesn't matter. There's still a risk. Like what is it? Condoms are, it's like 94% um, for sperm. And that's a sperm. Like other bacteria can, can get around that pretty. Absolutely. And I mean, just like oral sex in general, you can acquire an STI through that. And exactly. Same. I, I know a lot of my, um, my trans family members are like, they, they require their client to wear a condom, even through oral sex. And I'm like, work, bitch. (laughs) It's like, it, 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 like I mentioned earlier, it's all about what what you put in your toolbox. I mean, you have condoms available, use them. It is a form of harm reduction. I just know personally, I don't like that. And I, to me, to me, condomless sex as a, as a pan person is just more fun for me. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because, you know, I just, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not, I, I'm not ashamed to say that. I just, I like what I like. I'm a freak. And I, oh, yeah. I, but with that also comes privilege. And even with the clients that, you know, I have condomless sex with, I am still able to provide resources to these people. And right. <clears throat> if, so happens I do acquire an STI, you know, because I'm not just having sex with clients, you know, I'm having sex all across the book. You yeah. Know? You've, got a, you've got your own romantic and sexual life. Right. So yeah. I have my own kinks. I have my own fetishes. I have my own, like, and it's, it is what it is at the end but of the day. Also, I would say too, like, we all take risks in any industry that we're in, not just right. sex work, but like, we're specifically talking about the risks in sex work. And if that's a risk, like you want to take, or if that's a risk I want to take, that's up to me. Like that is a, right. that is a thing that, um, that's our choice, um, which is largely what we're talking about is like, we all make choices in this industry. Absolutely. And just like normalizing the fact that women can take prep too. <clears throat> 
Um, a lot of women that are in hetero relationships or doing hetero sex work, like don't feel as if they, that prep is for them. And I think that's a hard miss. Um, and there's just not enough awareness about that because everybody deems HIV one as a gay disease. After all these years, still the gay disease. But what we know is that bacteria doesn't give a shit about your sexual orientation or what genitalia you have and or virus i guess not bacteria but like that that too but hiv does not is not discriminatory absolutely and also just like i said there's not enough awareness about it and so women women are the leading demographic of individuals acquiring hiv and acquiring stis and a lot of people don't don't see that and don't talk about it because there's not enough studies done on women one even our research is discriminatory against women and trans men you know, and those individuals need to be a part of that research because they are the most impacted. And once again, society deems HIV and anything related to sexual health as a gay thing. And it's just not. <laughs> um, and it's something that I've realized over time. And I've tried to push that message out to other people. That's fantastic. I love that. Well, I'm so glad we dove into this. I did not expect us to like talk about STIs and shit. Um even like sharing the fact that I've had an STI, I was like, Ooh, I got nervous sharing that on the podcast. Um, but I think it's important to talk about. So, and that's what we're here. We're here to talk about real life things. And just so everyone knows all STIs are treatable. Um, <laughs> yes. herpes, H- HSV1, HSV2, um, HIV, gonorrhea, chlamydia, you know, all these things are treatable um, in e- HIV, especially because yeah. with with remaining consistent on medication, you're able to remain undetectable and have a suppressed viral load, which means you can't transmit HIV to any of your partners as long as you stay consistent and adherent to your medication. So just keep that in mind as you know you navigate that journey in your life because HIV is a highly stigmatized topic and don't let that stigma take over your life and take over your power because that's something that is treatable. And although you do live with HIV for the rest of your life until there is a cure, it is manageable and your life can remain the same. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not curable, but it's also not the end of the world. Um, you can live a normal life. Um, if you keep have sex, have (laughs) sex. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, pleasure is important and pleasure is part of healing. Um, Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk, we, we have a whole thing of, of talking about stigma and judgment in vanilla workplaces and, and in the LGBTQ community, which is something we experienced <laughs> a shit ton of, unfortunately. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to start wherever, like if you want to start with vanilla workplace and then we can venture into LGBTQ, however you want to do it. Absolutely. Um, I think you know, as someone that has participated in sex work, I never thought in a million years I would ever experience discrimination from anyone, you know, because I was just so oblivious. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, I've often been questioned, you know, why didn't I think about the effects when I posted my ads online? Or why didn't I think of this? Or why didn't I think, of, why didn't I get a second job? Or why didn't I do this? You know, and those questions are highly traumatizing. Um, but you know, my first experience with discrimination actually happened um, about a year ago, and it broke me into a million pieces because it was with an organization that I've supported for a decade. You know, it was an organization when I first moved to Dallas that 
tested me for HIV, you know, treated my first STI. I later became a volunteer. I later became a pharmacy partner. Yeah. And then later on became a board member. And wow. it took 10 years of, you know, <clears throat> navigating these different life experiences to find out what I was truly passionate about. And it is about my community. And, you know, for me to go into that application process and ultimately be told that they, have a, they had a fear of having a sex worker on the board because of the vision and the views of donors and the linkage to PrEP and the linkage to HIV. And it just, mm. at the end of the day, ultimately being told no. And me walking away from that experience, hating myself even more and like letting that shadow capsulate my life. And it did for three months. And it was a very hard three months for me <clears throat> because- I'll pause you here for a second, just cause like, I do want to talk about like that shame narrative that infiltrates our, our minds. Like right. that's, that's, they have shame about having a sex worker on the board and in a culture that is like very victim blamey and, um, and stigmatizing, like that narrative enters our head. And that's where those, like, I should have like shameful things sort of come up and, First of all, I'm sorry that you had to go through that, um, but I'm grateful that you bring that up because it is it is an important piece of like that's not ours to own, and yet we are often that's shoved onto us as a as a community and as individuals. Absolutely, and just keep in mind like this organization, what is an LGBTQIA supporting organization, was founded on the basis of HIV, and yeah. so if you th- if you go back in time you know, black and trans women were the first people to really stand up for sex workers. And even in the Stonewall riots, like people don't uh, think that to anything. And it's like, that actually happened, you know? And the foundation of all these organizations that are popping up are on the backs of sex workers. And because sex workers stood up during that time and fought for people living with HIV and the things that were happening in our community, specifically to, to us. Yeah. And so- that experience was shameful for me. I walked away from that experience um, destroyed because I never, like I said earlier, I never thought in a million years I would go through that and that my community would potentially turn their back on me. And that's what I felt like at the time. And I think that's very valid. Although after a few months of, you know, not being able to get out, like leave my apartment and face the world, I was able to, you know, listen to my support system and listen to my friends tell me that this spot is yours. And if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be you. And I did it. And I went back and fought for it. And I went back and got it. And I was able to sit on that board for eight months before I resigned. Um, and I'm not able to talk much about my experience on the board um, mm-hmm. because non-disclosure agreements and contracts. But what I can say okay. is that... Yes. <laughs> what I, you, you see, I'm not saying an organizational name, right? Okay. Yeah. You're doing <clears throat> would, a great job. I'm very, <laughs> uh, but you know, I did, you know, I did experience microaggressions and oftentimes being told that I couldn't post certain things or, you know, I, I couldn't do certain things because of the view of the organization and where they were trying to go yeah. and, you know, potentially trying to protect because of my experience, I was working on things to protect future board members because my intention overall changed from when I first applied to be on the board to when I got on the board. Yeah. So it, my trauma made my, my intentions change. And not, that's not a bad thing. 
I, I, I joined the board to help and help build the organization in a way that supports people like me. Yeah. And ultimately at the end of my eight month reign, that ultimately was denied once again. And that was just it for me, you know, and my integrity was being compromised. I was, I felt shameful towards myself again, after I've worked so hard to love myself and love my life experiences. So, you know, I resigned from that board and I, I experienced severe backlash um, from individuals that are on the board, you know, executive leadership and potentially people telling me that I'm lying and that I'm pushing false narratives uh, upon individuals and the organizations, which is not true. It's, I, nothing makes me more angry than when people try to deduct and minimize my life experience. And especially from someone that I looked up to as a mentor, a friend, someone that I saw as a beacon, you know, it, it hurt me mentally. And, but at the same time, I see it as a blessing because now I'm able to see people for who they really are and learn how to navigate that because now I'm able to truly advocate for my people and do it in a way that is impactful for them. And I'm so happy that this experience happened to me and not someone else because I was able to navigate all my trauma and channel it. And a lot of people that experience severe trauma like that being as a sex worker or any life experience, being told that you don't have a place to sit at the table, although the table was created by people like you, it's traumatizing and it's just shitty. <laughs> it's yeah. just a shitty, shitty feeling. It's a shitty experience. And there's a lot more work to be done in protections for people that are on staff that are sex workers, because we all know that in nonprofit, people don't get paid what they're worth because the funding is not available. Right. And it's just, that's what life is right now. <clears throat> so people are having to rely on other revenues and other things and potentially risk, you know, the fact that they may get fired for that or may be discriminated for that. And my intention was fully to protect those people because those people are my friends yeah. and people that when I went through that <clears throat> were supporting me and they were staff members and they were like, we need, please keep going. Please do. We need you there. We look up to you. We love you. We need you to fight for us. And it's like, that's at the end of the day, that's why I continued for as long as I did. Yeah. That's also a lot of pressure. Um, <laughs> You're telling me. <laughs> a lot of pressure. And like, yeah, no, no single one of us should ever be like this spokesperson for everyone because not every, any single one of us has the same experience. Right. But I also think like it's the nonprofit trauma is such a real thing. And what, what really is hard about working in nonprofits is that like the original idea for this nonprofit might be so well-intentioned and actually be what, what it we're getting behind, but it's when you start adding in like grant money and these like metrics that are assigned to the grant money and like everything gets warped. And then this, the thing that we're fighting for gets filtered through grant qualifications and PR and all this stuff. And then we're not, we're fighting in the wrong direction. It's like a prism. The light goes through and gets shot off in the wrong direction. Um, and so you were, you were trying to fight for like the actual meaning behind this organization. And they were like, mm -mm, like, that's not the direction we're headed. And that's really unfortunate. Um, and, and clients that access their services will potentially suffer because of that. 
Yeah. And it's horrible. It's <clears throat> frustrating. It's, it's wildly frustrating. That was one of my biggest qualms with nonprofits. It was like, I, I felt like I was working in one direction and they kept trying to steer me in another. And it was, um, I was like, you're saying one thing, but you're doing another. And I am lost because <laughs> I too have been called naive. And like, I, I just didn't understand why it had to be so complicated. Um, Absolutely. And let's remind everybody that most of these organizations and these grants that people qualify for and that organizations qualify for, there is verbiage in these grants that state the need to access the sex worker community and provide services to them and provide HIV testing, provide treatment and provide all these things. So to potentially discriminate against not only people that are accessing these services, but people that are wanting to make these services more accessible, um, it's harmful and it's the complete opposite of harm reduction. My, I've had several people tell me that it makes no sense on why that would happen to you, especially since you have that lived experience and they can utilize that lived experience to help other people. And I completely agree. Um, and at the end, at the end of the day, you know, life happens and decisions happen. And I, this is, I'm not the only person that goes through this, you know, it's, this isn't a job that was paying my bills. You know, this is something that I volunteer my time for and because I cared about it. So imagine people that are actually working in the workplace that may have had a history of sex work in the past, or, you know, that may have had an OnlyFans, but want to re-enter society post COVID, yep. you know, and go back to the job that they had before, because it's now, now it's available again. And I'm they're like, they relied on sex work during that time to pay bills because we were relying on stimulus checks and not unemployment. Right. So it's, I, Unfortunately, my I fortunately did not have to experience that um, because I'd never lost my job. My job actually got more excessive because when you work in pharmacy, it's like delivery is slow. Yeah. Like we we have to go out into the community and deliver medication because you know shipments are late or you know there's all these different barriers. And oh, so yeah. you know, imagine life you know post COVID where someone relied on OnlyFans or you know any escorting platform to pay their bills during that time, but then realized, hey, I want to go back this way. And then being discriminated against and being told no, because you do have that online presence and you do have that experience online now and being potentially harassed by employees because they know who you are yep. and they've seen you online and they follow you and they rent you and they, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's a, it's a not a protected thing in society. And if you even go to HR about harassment or discrimination there, there's no protections for you. Like that's, there's protections for everything else, yeah. but us. So, yeah. and a part of that is because it's criminalized, like sex work in, um, I mean, as escorting at least is, is criminalized. Porn is very stigmatized. All sex work is stigmatized, but, um, I think that because it's criminalized, it's really hard for nonprofits to go anywhere near it. Um, so decrim please. Um, and then also, <laughs> throw that in there. Yeah, that, that just like makes a lot of sense. And then also like nonprofits, I think they'll say, like you said, they throw in the words of like, we want to help sex workers into their like grants or their statements of purpose or whatever, without really knowing what that means. Um, because if they're not willing to have a sex worker on the board, if they're not really, if they're not willing to like listen to a sex worker's lived experience or have us at, at the table, then like, they're just paying us lip service um, or trying to get grant money. 
<laughs> the and that's that's something else that really bothers me because you know there oh god i i can talk about this all day love <laughs> <laughs> i don't mean to get you riled up but i also i'm not no i think i've done a I mean, I've done other interviews and stuff about this where I've gotten riled up and I've decided not to let those surface. Um, yeah. This has probably been the best comfortable experience I've had so far. So thank you for that. Um, I think I'm finally in a place where I can vocalize my healing and where I'm taking that healing to the next level. Because every, every time a door shuts for sex workers is when another door opens. And whether that's you know, going into a completely different direction with your life or opening your own organization or opening your own advocacy or opening, you know, your own legislative, you know, initiatives that you want to do. The, the, the possibilities are endless. I literally had someone, my friend sit me down two days ago and say, you know, you have the opportunity to write a bill, you know, write a bill, send it to Congress, send it to Senate, you know, it's, and I never, I never even thought of that. Like, so it's, it's opportunities are endless. We just have to have, it's, we have to have an army because there's not, but well, yes, like sex workers take care of sex workers. We always have, but also like, I just wanted to say like your, the, the yes mentality that you have, the fact that someone was just like, you could write a bill and send it to Congress. And you were like, yeah, I could, it, like, <laughs> that makes my heart so happy. And that is the energy I love, um, that you bring into a space. Cause you're just like, yeah, like let's fucking do it. Um, Yes. It's going to do it. I mean, who's going to do it? <laughs> you know, like I'm not going to sit around and wait for other people to do it. I might as well just take the opportunity and do it myself. And, you know, part of that is, is, you know, I do want to start my own organization. I do want to start doing policy and advocacy. And I do because of my discrimination, because of my experiences that has motivated me to work harder and motivated me to get out of bed and motivated me to care for my community in a way that I didn't know I had in me. Totally. Like, it's very, it's a very vulnerable thing to do. And it, I constantly have to have this conversation with people, even the one I'm having with you today. And I may, after this have to log off and like lay in bed for a minute, because it is, it is something that is really hard for me to talk about because yeah. of the trauma I've experienced. I have so many walls up yeah. and just afraid to say anything wrong. Um, just because of people's perceptions of what I'm talking about. Totally. And if, if, if anything comes out of this, I hope that people can feel more comfortable in the skin that they're in and feel more empowered by being who they are and yeah. just really taking their experiences and navigating them in a way to where they can impact other people and impact the community because there's not enough people standing up and there's not enough organizations like answer um which is the first sex work initiative organization that i've ever found in the united states that's sick to me like <laughs> I, when I found answer when I was in Detroit a few months ago, I, I was in tears because I, I'd never seen something so public and so openly vocalizing what they're doing. And that inspired me to even potentially start my own thing here or have an answer Dallas or have, you know, there's so, there's so much work to do and it's answer it's, Dallas. <laughs> the, as things grow, opportunities grow. And I want to create spaces and jobs for people that go through the same things that I've been through. And that's what I want to do. Have you, have you ever read about, um, like coyote call off your old tired ethics? I have. Um, okay. I was going <laughs> to say like there, the, the sex work organizing history is something that really warms my heart and, and like helps me because knowing, knowing how far back it goes knowing that other people have paved the path 
that answer is currently on that you are are about to like set foot on or have set foot on um like that really helps me um to know that I'm not alone and that was another thing I wanted to mention to you um to you and anyone out there who's listening who wants to get into advocacy because that you you're saying like I I'm going to do these things and I'm going to do these things. And you often talk about having walls up. And I just want to remind you, you are not alone. You can lean on your community. And, um, and in fact, like you can't do it alone. And I'm grateful to have you as a part of answer. You're going to make me cry. It's a, it's a hard thing that I've also had to learn because I am a hyper independent person from my trauma. And so, um, hearing you speak, I I hear that in you. And I just want to remind you that like, we got to do this together. Absolutely. Um, It's a very lonely world out here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Especially when you can't find many people that relate to you. And I, I've, I've found that with answer and it's just been, so it's just been crazy. Yeah. Oh, I Um, love you so much. (laughs) I don't know. It just, it feels incredible. And like, I don't know, like I said earlier, it motivates me to get out of bed and yeah, you know, there's so many people out here experiencing things worse than me. And I can't be more grateful for having a space to really share those things. And oftentimes people minimize me and it's shocking to me still. Cause I, you know, I thought for a long time, I built enough respect within my world, you know, and having that respect challenged by people that don't really understand me or, just always feeling like I don't have people that get it or don't have people that understand what I'm talking about and don't relate to me has been, has been kind of heartbreaking. And I don't know, I'm grateful to be in this space with you and grateful to be a part of something that's going to be bigger and potentially duplicating that and making it a mass, you know, a mass thing, you know, it's, it has to happen because sex work is happening everywhere. It's not, it's the big, it's the founding people hate when I say this, but it really is a founding pillar of our society and not just the LGBTQI community, but everywhere. Absolutely. And it, since the beginning of time, it know? ain't going nowhere. <laughs> I know. Not. It's, it's just more, <laughs> it's more accessible now and it's more out there and more because yeah. social media has, it has its good things and it has its bad things. But one thing I will say that's good, been good about social media is the advocacy part. And is the policy part because now people are listening and now people are researching and can find things. I've also found, you know, my, my passion in researching the history of sex work and finding those people that started this in the very beginning in California, like the trans women, the black women, you know, they, they started this revolution and it's so impactful. And so it has to be reminded to people because this didn't just start yesterday. It's been happening for a long time. Yep. And we're going to, we're going to be doing it for a long time. Um, yes. Yep. Cause once we get decrim, we're going to be working on something else, you know, like it's, it is a process. Um, okay. So we're, we're winding down the interview. Um, and I want to ask you one question before we do some rapid fire. Okay. Um, what is something you want the greater public to understand about sex workers or sex work? as a whole a lot of things but i'll try i'll try i'll try to keep it short um as i mentioned earlier sex work is a healing thing for not all people but a lot of people and we're human beings also if i want anyone to know anything it's that if you have been discriminated against and you have felt less than because of 
the people around you, find new people because there are people out there like you. And it may take some time, but you know, as I mentioned earlier, anything's possible. And there are people out there searching for you just as you're searching for them. Yeah, absolutely. Rapid fire, I'm ready. Love it, all right, let's do it. <laughs> Pancakes or waffles? Um, Waffles. Vanilla or chocolate? Chocolate. Indica or sativa? Indica. Excellent. Favorite place you've ever been? Portugal. Oh, a book from your mandatory reading list. Um, Selena with love. Oh, I don't know this one. <laughs> um, a song, an album, or a musical artist that you're currently obsessed with? Um, I've been obsessed with Selena my entire life, and I continue to be obsessed with Selena Quintanilla, the Mexican-American singer. Yes, excellent choice. Um, what is your hidden talent? Fisting. Ooh. <laughs> that gets me excited. Um, finish this sentence. Good sex is. Shit. There's so many things popping in my head. Good sex. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Good sex is empowerful. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, my God. Good sex is free sex. Ooh, excellent. Um, if you had one superpower, what would it be? Um, mind manipulation. No, that is, that's <laughs> it. I'm like, ooh, that's dangerous. <laughs> we might get more things done if we had that. <laughs> that's true. We can <laughs> um, something simple that brings you joy. Flowers. Hmm. What do you have a favorite? Uh, White flower? roses. Oh, I love that. It was Selena's favorite flower. So. Uh, I didn't know this about you. I'm so I'm so happy to know this about you now that you're obsessed. Yes, with my it. apartment is full of Selena things. I don't, even back there, you can see her on your kitchen counter. Oh yeah, yeah different <laughs> versions of her from Etsy that I I purchased. I'm full, I love supporting small businesses and people that do creative work. So. Absolutely. Oh, you were fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, I get to see you very soon. So that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let's say goodbye to the listeners and and then we'll log off. Absolutely. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoyed this, you know, podcast. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Isn't it Chad a delight? I'm so grateful that I get to share him with all of you. Our conversation spanned so many different topics, but um, I'm including links in the show notes for um, access to PrEP in, in different countries, mostly just the US, the UK, and Australia, because that's where most of my listeners are based. I also found a Planned Parenthood article uh, about some things that um, sex educators want you to know about STIs, and it's fantastic and totally not full of shame bullshit. I love that we got to talk about how other people's shame can be projected onto us and internalized by us. And the process that it takes to unravel that is so difficult. It's a lot of the healing work that people are doing um, has to do with other people's shame, uh, which is kind of fucked, but we're out here, we're doing it. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you're doing that work right now, 
um, kudos to you. Go gently. And if you're not doing that work, perhaps think about it. Um, should that be my space fact? No, no, I'll leave you with this space fact. Uh, hold on. Let me, let me think. All right. I'm coming at you with a space fact. This is more of a space fact that leads to another space fact, but we're going to, we're going to rock and roll with it. So, um, Io is my favorite moon of Jupiter. Um, I don't know why it's probably cause the name is cute. Um, because that, yep, that's me. Um, I did a report on it a long time ago. I don't remember anything, but I looked up this fact and the fact declares that the orbital resonance and the tidal forces from Jupiter are the primary heat source of Io's volcanic activity, which is kind of bananas thinking that just like the gravitational effects um, of the planet that it orbits, that Io orbits, is its primary heat source, um, not the sun. So that's wild. And then I was like, well, what the hell is orbital resonance? So then I went on this rabbit hole. And basically, there's a bunch of different kinds of orbital resonance, um, and apparently a science fiction novel called Orbital Resonance. Okay, so as I understand it, in my brief skimming of uh, the internet on the subject, um, orbital resonance is when the orbits of celestial bodies influence one another. And this can be either stable or unstable. Um, stable meaning they can just keep doing their little dance, um, bebop in their little, little drum beat, um, and they stay in their orbits. And uh, unstable being like eventually someone's gonna get kicked out of the orbit. The, what's coming to me is like when you're tuning a guitar, you are trying to tune the string to the wavelength of the other string, and the wavelengths can um, be dissonant instead of resonant. And, um, and when they're dissonant, the the waves um, kind of hit each other, and you can hear the the wah wah wah. You can like hear it. An attuned ear can hear these things, and um, those waves are influencing one another. It reminds me of that basically. There's also it. It also reminds me of, um, I saw a video recently on YouTube of this guy who like puts sand, he makes art by putting sand on a black table and it's like white sand and he rubs, um, various size like rubber balls or whatever on it to create a resonant, like a sound, a resonant sound. And the table vibrates with that sound. Like the the water in your cup when someone like walks by with really heavy feet. Or when you're playing music really loud and the surface of the water of your cup is is becoming waves. So the surface of this table is um creating patterns because of the resonance and it is moving particulates out into different places. And so Orbital resonance does that in space, and that is why we see the gaps in the rings of Saturn. That is where, um, because of the orbital resonance, nothing can exist there. It is being ejected from that particular part of the ring. And what's interesting is res resonance can have like similar pat like music patterns. Um, it is more like math, but math is like music, so everything is magically related somehow and I love it um 
I'm no scientist. Don't take my word for any of this. This was probably very confusing. Um, I barely understand it, but it excites me nonetheless. So uh, I hope you enjoyed it too. Nanu nanu, motherfuckers. <laughs>